Thank you for downloading the Sunday morning sermon from Sunday, April 7th. Questions Jesus Asked. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? For more information about Paragon Church, visit paragonchurch.com. I have three words, three simple words I want to start out with this morning. Those three simple words are worry, fear, and anxiety. Worry, fear, and anxiety, they describe what happens inside of us to start causing us to have outward reactions towards other people, towards decisions that we make, towards all the things that we deal with in life. And let's be very honest here. Worry, fear, and anxiety are tools that many different groups use to help us determine the way that we're going to go. Um, If you think about it, advertisers, they use worry, fear, and anxiety. Um, Our politicians use worry, fear, and anxiety. They, They play on that. How many, if you just were to think about it for yourself, how many people actually voted for the person they actually wanted versus they voted for the opposite person that they didn't want? Because we're more afraid of what that person might have done than actually worried about the person that was going to be in that particular office. We use worry, fear, and anxiety as family members to make our kids do what we want them to do. Uh, We have worry, fear, and anxiety with our friends, and the list really goes on. I'm not sure if you get those robocalls like I get all the time, but it's always about, I need to get a car warranty. Funny thing is, is that car warranty costs more than a car. But the reality is I get the phone call all the time, and what do they do? They play on my worry and my fear and my anxiety, whether or not my car is going to run or not. It's all right there. They're common feelings and emotions that every man or woman on the planet really deals with, and they truly affect our look at life, our vision on life, the decisions we make, and the directions that we go in. And so today as we dive into the question, um, what Jesus asked, I have a question for you first. And that question is this. What makes you anxious? What makes you anxious? What makes you worry? Now, if you're on our Facebook page or if you're on our Instagram account, you will have seen this question that we shot out on Friday. I just wanted to get some responses from our church and some people that that are out there to hear what makes you worry, what makes you anxious. And then I wanted to compare our answers with church surveys that go out there all the time about that. And here... Uh, There were some simple answers that were something along the lines of, will my team win or lose tonight or tomorrow night for Texas Tech's sake? Uh, You know, whatever that might be. We have those little fears like that or worries or anxieties. It could be, how long is Matt going to go tomorrow? Those are real fears and anxieties that you're going to experience today. But then there's some more serious ones. Some of the ones that came out that we saw, some of the ones that tied in with uh, national surveys, biggest fear, anxiety, the unknown. The unknown. What's going to happen next? How's it going to happen? Um, And how can I control it? How can I be the one to understand what's going to be? And when you take the known or the unknown, you have the opposite side of it, the known. We're afraid of the known. We're afraid of what is going to happen and how am I going to control that as well. And of course, that'd be number three, not being in control. I don't like to not be in control. I don't know about you. I I very much want to be in control. How about this one, being alone? 
finding the right people in my life, finding the right spouse in my life. Money, not having enough of it. Not having enough of it to take care of myself, not having enough of it to take care of my family, not having enough of it uh, to pay the bills. I'll be very honest with you. Worst day of my week, Tuesday. You know why? Because that's the day the finance lady comes to the church and she counts the money. And I'm like, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you tell me where we're at? And she just looks at me, and if she looks at me with a smile, I'm glad. If she doesn't look at me with a smile, I'm like, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? See, because one of the things about, about Tuesdays for me is that I start determining whether or not you get another job on Wednesday. Because <laughs> for, for many in here, if this church were to be done, you'd say, you know what, I'll relax a little bit, I'll... I'll find another place. I don't get that option. Jerome doesn't get that option. Christy doesn't get that option. Bianca doesn't get that option. It's, it's not like, yeah, yeah, we'll be fine. It's all good. We worry about that kind of stuff. And, and that's a reality in life. What if something happened to my spouse or what if something happened to my kids? That seemed to be the number one one that I got online. It's the what ifs. What if something happened? Last week's message was, am I truly living for God or for myself? Why do we call Jesus Lord, Lord, but we don't do what he says? That created some worry in some people. That was not my intent, by the way, last week. I did not want you to walk out of here going, oh, I just don't think I'm good enough. You're probably not. Just going to be very honest with you. I'm not good enough either. That's the blessing of grace and mercy in our lives from God for, for honest and, and seriousness. When we look at it, the point was about last week was about having a relationship with Jesus and having that relationship to say, yes, I will call you Lord, Lord, and in response to you, because I call you Lord, Lord, I will do what you said. And, and so... It wasn't to create worry, but yet, because we are who we are, we're the prideful people that we are, we want to make sure that happens. And then, you can say, oh, we fail at that, but I think failure in general is a huge one. I just don't want to fail. I just don't want to fail in what I've been given to do. Last one I've written down was being accepted or rejected by others. That's a huge worry. Being accepted or rejected by others. And you know, the list really went on and on and on, but I had to kind of limit it down. But because of that question today, is one area that I really want us to apply. It, it's a teaching last week. Obviously, I wanted you to apply that as well. And if you want a fear of mine, that's a fear of mine. When I get up on a Sunday morning, am I just blowing smoke and nobody cares? Am I coming across in the wrong way? Am I wrong? Uh, are people actually going to respond? Am I just wasting people's time? That is a real, genuine fear that I have. And so what I want to do today is I want to see the fact that the Bible talks a lot about worry, talks a lot about fear, it talks a lot about anxiety. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks a lot about worry, fear, and anxiety. And what we're going to see today is in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, what is called the Sermon on the Mount. We ended the Sermon on the Mount last week by talking about why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say. We ended the Sermon on the Plain last week. Well, now we're going to go backwards and see some of the things he actually said. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. This is our question for the day. Can any of you add one moment to his life, his lifespan, by worrying? That's a great question. And I pray that today we can open our hearts and open our minds to this and see that worry really isn't worth it. It really isn't. It's a waste of our time, and yet we do it anyway. So I pray that God will speak to our hearts. Let's do that, as a matter of fact, right now. God, we are so grateful once again for the opportunity to be able to be here. 
and be able to be coming into your presence and, and, and read your word from Isaiah and just know that you are the everlasting God, that you are the one in control. But God, so oftentimes we worry that maybe you're not in enough control or that you're not big enough or that you're not strong enough or that you're not good enough. God, erase those worries from our lives today. We pray it in your name. Amen. See, Jesus is teaching here once again on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, what I'd like to do is pick up in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. Would you follow along with me as I read? It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body. For if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So, if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow, or reap, or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any one of you, uh, sorry, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the fields grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need him. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, in this passage, you see Jesus touched on many of the things that were in our very first list. The unknown, the known, the money, the basic necessities of life, the things that, that, that we worry about. He is touching on here, and the, what the great thing is, is in this passage, very few times does Jesus a ask a question and then answer it. But in this passage, he answers it. He answers, so what I want to do is I want to dive in and I want to take a look at, at what he's saying here and how it all progresses. So if you go back up to verse 19 for me, it says this. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The first section of this passage, Jesus is focusing on where do you put your trust? What are the things that you value the most? Where are you, are you leaning in? And let's be very honest. We live in a culture that lives for the American dream. And you can't think of the American dream without thinking of storing up stuff for yourself here on earth. So this is a battle I think every single one of us deals with. Every single one of us deals with, should I lay up for myself treasures on earth or should I lay up for myself treasures in heaven? Where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. And there's this, this desire, I believe, that is in every single one of us. It's that sinful desire for one of the three big things that make up the American dream. Maybe it's one, maybe it's all three, or a combination of two. Is it fame, fortune, and power? 
fame, fortune, and power. How much can I accumulate? How many people can I know? And how many people can know me? And how many people can I get under me? That's it. That, that's a driving force in America. That's how we define success. But see, in the Christian life, success should be defined in a totally different way. We should be living life to the fullest in a totally different way than what the American dream says. Because one thing there is about fame, and one thing there is about fortune, and one thing there, there is about power, is there is never enough. There's never enough. We're always wanting more. And if we don't have more, guess what? Our fame's going to fade, our power's going to fade, and our fortune's going to fade. We always want more, and that is just natural to it all, and that's why we need to live differently in all of this. See, these three things that, that we chase after would fall under treasures that we're storing up on earth. They're temporary things. They're things that will eventually disappear. And as a matter of fact, Jesus talks about a parable in this in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. He says this, then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He had the finances. He had the fortune. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared... Whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, none of the earthly things we chase after will last. None of the earthly things that we hold on to will last. And you know what that even includes? Our lives. And the lives of the loved ones that we hold on to so tightly. And we're going to dive into that and we're going to look into that. But see, what we have to look at is as Christians, we are called to something greater. We're called to live for something greater. We're called to, to focus our energy and our attention and our time and our money on something greater. But yet the world is constantly pulling us away from that. And oftentimes, even though we know it, we don't live the way that God would have us to do. Hence the reason why he asks at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the Sermon on the Plains, why don't you do what I say? And the answer simply is, we're pulled we're pulled in different directions. We're, we're being pulled by, by all the things that, that the world has to offer. See, the Bible doesn't actually condemn wealth, but it does come with plenty of warnings about how wealth will affect us and how wealth will make it difficult to get into heaven because we'll start chasing after that instead of chasing after God. See, the tragic reality of life is that we like to store up treasures here on earth that don't last instead of storing up treasures in heaven that will last eternally. We know God brings us satisfaction, but does he bring us the same satisfaction that money does right now? Does he bring us the same satisfaction that family does right now? Does he bring us the same satisfaction that stuff does right now? Does he bring us that same satisfaction and it's all about the now? We don't think eternally. See, we start thinking about the scope of eternity. How many things today are going to matter 20,000 years from now? As a matter of fact, how many things are going to matter 20 years from now? All the things that we're always worried about, all the stuff that, that we let pile into us, we need to hold them loosely. But instead, we tend to hold them 
tightly. We try to hold on to them because we don't want to let them go, even though we know they are temporary. A guy by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he actually says about this passage. He says, I do not cling to these things. They do not become the center of my life and existence. I do not live for them or dwell upon them constantly in my mind. And I want to pause right there for just a second. How many things that we worry about just absorb everything that we have? All of our time, all of our energy, and especially our thoughts. He says, they do not absorb my life. On the contrary, I hold them loosely. I'm not governed by them. Rather, do I govern them. And as I do this, I am steadily securing and safely laying up for myself treasure in heaven. Isn't this why we worry so much? Isn't this the reason why we have so much anxiety in our lives, holding on too tightly to temporary things that we know we're going to lose the grasp of, that, that we know are going to go? And yes, that even includes our own life, and yes, that even includes the people that we love in our life, but we'll get to that shortly. See, the reality is we have to be careful. We have to be careful what we value, because the things that we value, these certain things will start to to raise up in our lives, and they'll become our focus. And as they become our focus, they'll start to be surrounded by our worry and our anxiety that we're afraid we're going to lose them. We're afraid something might happen to them. What do we value the most, and how does it affect the way that we see the world? And the reason why I ask that question is because the next thing that Jesus talks about is this light into the body. And it's found in, in verse 22 of chapter 6. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? See, Jesus is talking about spiritual clarity here. Spiritual clarity. How do you see the world and what filters are in there? If you're focused on Jesus, how are you going to see the world? If you're focused on stuff, how are you going to see the world? See, when we're focused on stuff, we see people as either wanting our stuff or we see people as a way to use to get more stuff or we see people differently. But if we see through Jesus' eyes, it changes everything. And he says it's going to, to shine a light when we allow the light into our soul. It's going to change our heart. And the heart is really the very core of everything in Hebrew technology or Hebrew terminology. So when he says those words, you know, what is getting into your heart? How are you with this light? And, and see, the, the crazy thing is, is if we're living for just fame and fortune and power, where are your eyes at? But if we're living for God, if our treasures are about heaven, then where are our eyes at? How do we see clearly? And if we're living for Jesus, it's one thing. But if we're living for ourselves, how do we see people? How do we see money? Is it a tool that glorifies God, or is it a tool that, that glorifies ourselves and defines us? And how does our heart even see something like serving? How do we spend our time? And I think that's why it gets into this next verse in verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Either you're going to chase after fame, fortune, power, money, or you're going to chase after God. No man can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I find it e uh, interesting that Jesus uses the term money here, but I think that term money can be just about any possession that we want to throw in there. It could be any treasure that we hold on to more tightly than God. And what is that for you? Because it's probably different for you than it is for me. What is it that we are holding on to so tightly to say, God, you can have all of me but this. You can be number one in all areas of my life except for this one. What is it for you? And that is a question I think we really have to look at. What 
thing are you holding on to that is more valuable than God? What's your treasure? Is it money, possessions, reputation, honor, praise, relationship, spouse, kids, your degree, your job? What is it? What is it that, that, that you can fill into that? Maybe it's your status. What is the thing you want to serve more than anything else? You want to know the best way to figure that out? If you're like, no, no, I, I can't really think about it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your phone, and I want you to look at your calendar. What's got the most time on it? I want you to pull out your, your credit card statement. What do you spend the most money on? Or maybe you don't use credit cards, which would be a wise choice, right, Troy? And uh, um, the, 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 the whole thing is, is you look at your debit account. You look at, at your bank account. Where is your money going? Where is your time going? Where is your effort going? What things do we have that we can really go towards? Where does most of your worry go towards? Where does most of your anxiety go towards? My guess is that would help define what you find most important. The question you have to ask yourself now is, is it worth it? Is it worth all your time? Is it worth all your effort? Is it worth all your money? Is it worth all of your worry and your anxiety? Is it worth all your energy? Is it worth it? Or is it just a temporary thing that you're going to look back and say, man, I wasted a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of blank, 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 blank. What is it? What is it for you? See, we have a choice to make. Choose to give our time and our energy and our love to something temporary or choose to give our time and our energy and our love to an eternal God. We have to choose. I love reading stuff about Paul. The Apostle Paul, I've been reading through a book called Praying Like Paul and just kind of seeing some of the things that he's done and some of the stuff. But one of the things that stood out to me is the choice that he made. And he, he writes it down to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He says this, this is my answer to what I choose. But everything that was gained to me, all the fame, all the fortune, all the power, I have considered to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? That relationship is because I know him. Because of him, I have suffered loss of all things and consider them as, what's that word right there? Dung. Does anybody know what that is? Everything of this world is just a big pile of, there you go, that's a good word. We'll go with that one, poop. That's all it is. But yet we invest so much time and so much effort and so much everything, we put God on the back burner. He says, I do that, I consider them that, so I may gain Christ. Going to be blunt here, we need to choose Christ. And stop choosing everything else. We need to stop chasing after all these things. And when we do, here's the results. The next verse says the word therefore. If you know about the word therefore, we do it because we have to find out what it's there for. It's because he's tying it back to the passage before. Because we're not going to lay up ourselves treasures on earth, instead we're going to lay up ourselves treasures in heaven. Instead, because we're going to choose God, and because we know we can't serve both God and money, this is going to be the result. Therefore, I tell you this, Jesus says, don't worry about your life because you're not worried about the temporary things. Focus on the eternal things, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? You know what he's saying right here? Hey, y'all, why are you worrying about so much of the temporary stuff? Why are you so focused on the temporary stuff and it's creating this like vortex around it that it's sucking you in and it sucks you in. It gets all of your time and all of your money and all of your energy and all of your anxiety and all of your worry. Why are you so focused on the things that you have no control over anyway? That's what he's saying here. And that's a heavy 
duty statement for us to remember and us to look at. And I think he says this. He says, you know, if you're going to hold so tightly, these things are going to rule your life. That's why we can't serve both God and money. That's why we can't serve both God and possessions. That's the reason why. And here's a couple of things I think that we really need to look at. Money being number one. Money being number one. Money is important, is it not? You all like money, correct? Anybody here not like it? If so, I'll take it from you, and I will show you how to make it a little bit more important in your life. Um, we pay bills with it, do we not? I mean, we buy food with it. We take care of our families with it. We get vehicles. We get houses. We, we get gas. Money is important in the scope of things. It's what really helps us. But the thing is, we can't make it too important because when it becomes too important, then we're worried about all of the things like losing it or not having enough of it or or it ruling our life and us living for it instead of it working for us. Isn't that what Dave Ramsey's whole principle is all about, Troy? It's about, is it going to rule you or are you going to use it as a tool to glorify God? He's blessed us with it. It's not a bad thing. It's amoral, which means it's not good or bad. It's what we let it do to us is what determines it. How are we letting it drive us? How quickly do we get stuff and that stuff get elevated to something really important, whether it be a person or a car or whatever it might be. Anybody in here drive a really cheap car? You don't have to raise your hand. But if you drive a really cheap car, do you care if somebody door dings it? Nah. Do you care about the little things about it? Nah. But if you go down and you buy a brand new car, you're the guy parking on the back lot as far away from everybody else as possible. As a matter of fact, I will never have that problem. But the... I, I drive it, you go through the mall parking lot, and you always see that one really nice brand new Mustang, a really nice brand new Camaro, or, or whatever it is, parked off all by itself. And you just want to go park as close as you possibly can to it, don't you? There's just a little bit inside you to say, don't lift that thing up to the, the status of, I need to be all by myself. But we do that with all kinds of things. We, we, we want to protect it. Money does it. And here's the real question I think we have to ask ourselves. Whose money is it anyway? Whose money is it anyway? Is it yours or is it God's? And I think that question could go back to how's that light shining in your heart? Are you seeing God's or seeing life through Jesus' eyes? Or are we seeing it through the world's eyes? Second one is time. And I think time is the same as money, if not more important, because it really is the currency of our life. 86,400 seconds. Every single one of us is given that every day. How do we spend it? How do we waste it? How do we invest it? That's up to you and that's up to me, but our, that how we answer that really matters. Are we willing to give any of it to others? Are we willing to give any of it to God? Or do we hold on to it too tightly because we're afraid we might lose it? We might waste it. And if we sit back and we're clenching onto it so tight and say, you know what, I might not have enough of it, so I have to be overly cautious of where I spend it at. The difference between time and money is you can get more money. You can't get more time. Whose time is it anyway? Is it ours or is it God's? Once again, going back to the way the light shines in our life. Here's one that's really hard to swallow, okay? And this might eliminate a few of you, but it might irritate the others. Time, money. Third one's children. Children. Children are a gift from God. If you were here just a couple weeks ago, we dedicated Samuel, we dedicated Hannah. In the process of that, we said, God, these are your kids not mine. But yet, 
how often do we hold on to them like they are ours? Even after we've dedicated them. I have a 17-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 6-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a soon-to-be 18-month-old. And I, I know, that's, that's quite a list. I told a lady the other day that I had seven kids. She's like, what did you, you say? I said, well, six. One's on the way. And she's like, your wife prayed? I'm like, no, no, one's on the way from Bulgaria. And tried to explain that. And her face was just like this pale, like, what is wrong with you? I can't answer that question, but we'll move on from there. The thing is, is this is the one thing I realized. With those seven, God did not owe me a single one of them. He did not owe me a single one of them. He has given me the task of protecting and providing and caring and shaping and leading them. But he didn't owe me a single one of them. And in that thing is, here's what I have to understand. In my de- de- uh, desire to protect, is there a way that I can protect my child from every dark thing that is out there? The answer is, is no. But man, sometimes I feel like I can. You know, this reality is becoming more and more apparent as I have a 17-year-old who will be 18-year-old very soon, and he's going to go off to the Air Force. You know what he's not going to do in the Air Force? He's not going to call in and be, hey, Dad, I'm in the situation. Can you protect me from it? He's not going to do that, are you? Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. But, but the, you know, as we have to let them grow up, sometimes we have to let them go. And my job as a dad is to prepare my children for adulthood. It's not to protect them from everything that is out there. Because if I do that, we see a generation right now, I'm going to be very honest with you, we see a generation right now that the parents didn't do the job of protecting them, I mean, of preparing them for adulthood, instead overly protecting them, and now they don't know how to deal with situations. And everybody's easily offended, and everybody has this... But as a parent, you want to hold on to them. You want to not let them go. And that's why we have people living in their houses, in their parents' houses until they're 30 without any problem whatsoever. Yeah, boo, that's right. That's a, that's a mom right there. And, and so w- we have to be careful with that. We have to give them adulthood and prepare them for that. But if we give them for what they want and protect them from everything possible, man, we're going to see some real messes. But the hardest thing is, is this. What if I mess up? What if I don't prepare him properly or them properly for adulthood? What if, what if, what if, what if I'm not the dad? What if that domination thinking of what ifs take over? I don't have the control of the unknown that I want to have. Wow, that is, that is heavy. But I guess we have to go to the same question we ask with money and time. Whose kids are these anyway? I mean, you've probably asked that question before in Walmart when they're throwing a fit on the, on the ground. Whose kids are these anyway? But in reality, whose kids are these anyway? They are God's. They're not mine. He has a plan, and he's going to do. That's the reason why I dedicated my children to the Lord, and I've given them back to them. It all comes back to knowing that God's in control. It all comes back to knowing that God is sovereign. I like the quote from the book Crazy Love. Francis Chan says this, worry implies that we don't quite trust God is big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what is happening in our lives. Basically, it communicates that it's okay to sin and not trust God because the stuff in my life is somehow exceptional. Worry reeks of arrogance. It declares our tendency to forget that we've been forgiven and that our lives are brief, and that in that context of God's strength, our problems are small indeed. Here's a quick question to let soak in. Can we worry and trust God at the same time? 
Can we worry and trust God at the same time? And it's a question I've had to ask myself over and over and over again. And, and if it isn't, how do I change my thinking? Uh, it, maybe some of you ladies went to the If Gathering, and one of the ladies that spoke there talked about this particular thing. It was a, a, just a one-word change, going from what-ifs to even-ifs. See, when we go the what-if, we're worried about what might happen. If we go to even-if, we know that God's still in control. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rakshak and Benny, if you're a, a veggie tale watcher. Think about them. When they are getting ready to be thrown in the fire, they say, you can avoid that fiery furnace if you get on your knees before these other idols. And they say, our God's going to save us. And even if he doesn't, we're still going to follow after him. Even if he doesn't do it the way we want it to be done, we're still going to follow after him. Even if, instead of what if. He gave us every penny. He gave us every second. He gave us every child. As much as I want to be in complete control, I have to honestly realize I have none. And that's why verse 26 comes in. He says, guys, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? See, birds are amazing creatures. There are some that are prey. There are some that are just there, but they do their jobs. They hunt worms. They carry twigs for nests. They do all the things that they need to do about. But I can tell you very honestly, I, I am not a bird watcher. But anytime I have watched birds, you know I've never seen any bird ever do? Worry. I've never seen a bird worry. And here's the crazy thing about that. And as Jesus uses this in context to it all. We hunt birds. We eat birds. Birds get hit by our cars. Um, one of the greatest Christian restaurants of all time is based on cooking birds, okay? Chick-fil-A, it's just a bird. And we eat it and we enjoy it and those are the kind of things. But God cares enough about those things that are so much less than us that he takes care of them. Aren't we more valuable than they? Aren't we more valuable than they? So why do we worry? Why do we forget that God is going to take care of us? He says, do what I've given you the job to do. Be good stewards of your time. Be good stewards of your money. And then just trust the Lord. That's it. And then he's like, how about a question? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? The simple answer is no, none of us. Not a single one of us can do it. So quit torturing yourselves. You realize they've done studies that say all the things that we worry about, only 8% of the things we worry about are legitimate. And of those 8%, you can't do anything about it anyway, so why worry? And that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Why do we lose sleep over it? Corey Ten Boone said this about worrying. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its troubles. It empties today of its strength. Truth. Truth. And then Jesus continues in verse 28. It's not just about the birds. He says, why do you worry about your clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the fields grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field where he's here today and tomorrow thrown into the furnace, won't he do much more for you, O oh, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Isn't our life about having a better life? 
Don't we desire to have the good life? Don't we desire to have a better life? And especially, don't we want our kids or our family members to have a better life? Isn't that the driving force behind it all? Can I ask you a question? What defines the better life? What defines the better life? Is it the, the food that we eat? I don't have to eat at McDonald's anymore. I now get to eat at Chili's. That's a better life by a thousand times. And then we get to be bigger and bigger. That's the better life we start to define in our mind. Same thing with drinks. Even same things with clothing. And that clothing isn't just the clothes that we wear. Because in Hebrew times, the clothes you wore told everything. It's the car that we drive. It's the house that we live in. Yesterday, I'm sitting in my office, or uh, uh, Friday, I'm sitting in my office, and this car from Don Chalmers pulls through. And it was a dark green, brand new like 2019 Mustang. And I'm like, ooh, that is pretty. And it sound is like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that nice, deep rumble. And I'm looking at it, and I got a little bit, of, little bit of jealousy inside of my heart. So I decided, you know what? I'd look pretty good in one of those. I would look good clothed in one of those. I would have the better life. Because it wasn't just any Mustang. It was the Bullet Edition Mustang. And I was like, hmm. And I started looking it up. And then when I looked it up at Chalmers' website, it said, $52,000, and I went, I would still look pretty good clothed in one of those, and I was looking at it going, oh, man, that is so pretty, and that is so nice, and I got to thinking to myself, is that the better life? Is that what I'm supposed to be chasing after? Because there will be someday, the reason why the Bullet Mustang came out in the first place is the 50-year anniversary of the movie Bullet with Steve McQueen, where the Charger got chased through the streets of San Francisco, if you haven't seen it, best car chase of all time in movies, but... We start to think it's going to fade. Guess what? Cameron asked me the question. Well, Steve McQueen's dead? As a matter of fact, yes, he is. It's going to happen. We can't hold on to the things of this life. We can't hold on to those kind of things. We worry too much about those kind of things. And it's funny how he says it's like what the Gentiles do. It's like what the pagans do. It's like those who don't call Jesus Lord, Lord. They are living for the things of this world. And he says, instead, we have to change our perspective. What is the cure for it all? And that's where this verse we see so often in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 comes in. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Shift your priorities. Shift your eyesight. Shift what you're living for. Shift towards things that matter. You know how many people come up and say, why are you adopting again? And I'd like to say, it's because we've shifted our priorities. We've shifted what matters. I could buy that Mustang for as much as it costs to bring those kids home. I'm not going to lie to you. As a matter of fact, when I told Christian the cost, she goes, that's two babies. I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And we have to shift our thinking to what's important, to what really matters. Is this life merely about surviving and looking good doing, or is it about something bigger? When we shift where we spend our everything on temporary to where we give God everything first, I think our eyes will open up, our, the light will get brighter inside of our hearts, and it will literally change the way we live and change the way we think. Because that's why he says in verse 34, therefore don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow because God is still God tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow because he's still in control, that he is still sovereign. This is the way that it works. Jesus didn't want us to be anxious and full of worry. He wants us to live differently. 
Not basing our decisions on the things of this world, but basing our decisions on God. The problem is that more and more stats point out that we live just like, just like the rest of the world. C.J. Mahaney writes a book on worldliness, and I'm not going to get into it for time's sake, but the reality is we can't tell where the world ends and the church starts. We're too blended. We're just as materialistic, just as sexually immoral, just as self-centered, just as locked on the priorities and the worries and the anxieties, and we live our lives the same way. Is this acceptable? Is this the reason why Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? Shouldn't I be the Lord of your life and not all the things of the world? Isn't this the way it's supposed to be? Something's got to change. The church should be different. The church should look different. Our schedules should be different. Our spending should look different. Our marriages, our parenting, our purity, our possessions, our love and our lives should be different. Not just for the sake of being different, but because God is the Lord of our life. That is why. I want to wrap up with 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Because John speaks specifically to this. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, wouldn't that be fame, fortune, and power? It's not from the Father, but from the world. And the world with its lust is what? What are those two words there? Passing away. They're temporary. They're temporary, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Can we pray this morning that God would shift our focus on what we're living for to him and not ourselves, and that we would take the energy that we take worrying and put it towards him and let him be the one that's in control instead of us? Let's do that this morning. Father, thank you for who you are and what you do. Thank you for continuing to speak into our lives. Thank you for continuing to direct us and guide us. God, I ask for forgiveness even in my wants, even in my desires, when they're not on you. When I want to think about how I'm clothed, or want to think about what I'm going to eat, or want to think about all the things of this world, my fame, my power, my, my fortune, those things don't matter in the long run. The only thing that matters in the long run is you, God. I pray that you open my eyes, and I pray you open my heart to you this morning. Help me see more clear today than I ever have before. I pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in front, and I would love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to see if this is an area that you're struggling with. Man, let's, let's talk through that. But as we do, we're going to wrap up with a song called Give Me Faith. And it just simply says this, give me faith to trust what you say, that you're good and your will is great. Give me faith to believe that, because that's what it's going to take. I can talk about it all day long. I can tell you funny stories about how God works in this way and how the world works in that way, but it's going to take faith to trust that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he's going to say he's going to do. So as we sing this song, I pray you stand with us, and we lift it up and praise Jesus for who he is.